Well, good morning. How's it going, everybody? Can give a big thanks to God for the brilliant color of the screen because it's dark outside. It's driving uh, here this morning, and it was even darker than it is now, and I felt like I was like a couple of months ago, and we were still on Sunday nights, or like in the wintertime on Sunday nights when it was dark, we needed to drive to church. Uh, so if you have your Bible, you can open it to John chapter 17. Um, as you do that, let me pray for us. God, I, I come before you now, and I thank you for this morning. I thank you for this opportunity to, to, to worship you this morning, and, and I, I pray now as we we open your word, Father, that you would guide our hearts and guide our thoughts and guide my words uh, this morning, God, that we would see you this morning, that you would convict our hearts and change our lives this morning, God. I pray that you would uh, free us from distraction this morning, you would keep the enemy from this place, Father, that we would uh, hear what you have to say to us, God. And we, we want to say that we, we cherish your word and we thank you for persevering it uh, these thousands of years so that we might understand and have your character revealed to our hearts, God. We thank you and trust you. We thank you for Christ in his name. Amen. So my charge this morning is to go to Scripture and seek to answer this question, how should Christians act in the world? I'll say that question, reiterate that question several times this morning, but ultimately I, I want us to, to understand that we are, we're going to, to John 17 for the purpose of understanding how Christians are to act in the world. And again, reminder, this is the uh, uh, Questioning the Church series, and, and we've been talking about the role of the church, and, and now we're going to talk about what the role of, of church is to, to provide you with this answer, to provide you with, with opportunities to go and, and be who you were called to be in this, in this world. You might have heard this phrase before, we are to be in the world but not of the world. You ever heard that before? We're to be in the world, but not of the world. And so uh, that's part of my, uh, what does that mean? Part of my charge this morning is to, to, to think through what does that mean to be in the world and not of the world? And, and uh, is, is that even biblical? Does, does that phrase appear in Scripture? Uh, it, it does appear in Scripture, not quite so point blank, not quite so matter of factly. It doesn't say specifically we are to be in the world, uh, but not of the world. But Christ in John 17 uses those phrases. So what, is, what does that mean to be in the world and not of the world? And what does it mean? What are we supposed to be doing as Christians in this earth? So I've, I've kind of boiled it down as I've studied that to be in the world means to be sent and to not be of the world needs to be giving yourself over to this process of being sanctified. So in the world means being sent and up, not of the world means to be engaged in this process of being sanctified. So Let's look at John 17, the, the first 10 verses of John 17. And these are really elements of the sentness of Jesus. Yes, I said sentness. It's a word that I, I made up. Um, when, when you go to seminary, they take a class and, and give you opportunity, give you like, like this card. I don't have my wallet with me, so I don't have my card, my, my free make up a word card. Uh, but you can make up words as pastors, I, I promise. Um, I can prove it to you theologically if you want to meet me at uh, 4.30 this morning, uh, at t or tomorrow morning at uh, Starbucks. We'll talk about it. You want to meet me there at 4.30 tomorrow morning. Uh, sentness. So these are elements of the sentness of Jesus. All right? 
While we all know that that's not a word, it still communicates. This is Jesus was sent by God to this earth, and these are the elements of his sentness. And what does it mean to be sent? First, in verse 1 of John 17, it says, When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your sons that the Son may glorify you. An element of the sentness of Christ, what it means to be sent in the matter of Christ is Jesus drew attention to God. Whenever we see this, this phrase, glorify God, we're commanded to glorify God, or uh, God, would you be glorified in what I do and what I say? What we're saying, what we're communicating there is to draw attention to God. All right? And Christ, an element of Christ's sentness is that he drew attention to God. So for us, what it means to be sent on this planet, and we're going to see as we get further on in John 17 that Christ has given us the charge to go and be in the world, to go and be sent for us to connect with, with what Christ is doing and his sentness, we need to be drawing attention to God. And for us, I think I want to be philosophical in this message to, to think about drawing attention to God, but I also want to be very practical. And for us to be practically drawing attention to God, what does that mean? What does that even look like to draw attention to God? And it's where you are, where you have been placed, draw attention to who he is. Deflect glory that may come to you and, and deflect it to God. Wherever you are, wherever you might be placed. Uh, God has placed me as the pastor of this church. God has placed me to live at 126 Royal. He's placed me in the family that he's given me. He's also placed me at a, an insurance agency called C.J. Thomas. And it's my, the element of my sentness is to be at each one of those places, in my neighborhood, in my job, in my family, in my pastorate, to be drawing attention to God. Hey, everybody, look at how cool God is. That's the definition of what it means to be sent, and that's the first element of Christ's sentness as we see it here in, uh, in John chapter 17. Skip to, John's, uh, to verse 4 of John 17. It says, I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. So Christ laid down his life, loved, and sacrificed. That was the, the ultimate work that Christ, that God gave Christ to do. So in order to glorify God, the element of Christ's sentness was to do the work that he gave him to do. I drew attention to you by doing the work that you gave me to do. Let me, let me say this very specifically. You are never more like Jesus than when you are doing these things here, laying down your life, loving and sacrificing. You are never more like Christ than when you're doing those things. And if Christ has sent us, if God has sent us, we are never more doing what we are supposed to be doing and thus bringing glory to God than we are when we're doing these things. It was really cool this morning when it was raining to stand out there and hand out the, the bulletins to watch the men of our church stop and drop their wives and their kids off at the door and then run in soaking wet. It's, it's really simple. It's very duh and very obvious, but this laying down your life, that's sacrificing. That's what we are to be called to do. And it's not just for the men to be laying down their lives for, for their wives. It's for all of us to be laying down our lives for people that are around us. And, and I, 
I, I want, this is really hard for me to be practical in, in this sense, apart from what I just said. But for you, it's, it's really important to, to think through, okay, what does it mean for me to lay down my life, to love, and to sacrifice in the context that God has placed me? Some of you guys are in school. Some of you guys are in work. Some of you guys are stay-at-home. All those things. Think through what it means to sacrifice, to lay down your life, and to love because of this fact. You are never more like Jesus when you are doing these things, and you are never drawing more attention to God than when you are being like Jesus. Let me say that again. You are never more like Jesus when you are loving, sacrificing, and laying down your life. And you are never drawing more attention to God than when you're being like Jesus. So if we are to be sent as Christ was sent, we are to have these elements of his sentness, this is the definition for us of what we are to be doing. And one of the things that God has just been wrecking my heart with for the last couple of weeks is just the the preference and self-centeredness of my heart. That if God has called me to engage a neighbor, but it's really hot outside. I'm not going out there to engage my neighbor because I would prefer to stay inside in my living room and watch the baseball game where it's 72 degrees in my living room rather than go outside and engage his heart where it's 105. And that is not sacrifice. That's not love. That's not being sent. That's not acting like Christ. That's not doing what God has called me to do. That's not glorifying God. And I, and I hope as I'm saying these things and walking through this, your mind is taken to places thinking through, okay, this is what it would look like for me to be sacrificing. This is what it would be look like for me to lay down my life. The third element, skip down to verse 6 of John 17. I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. What does this mean? What it means to be sent is to manifest his name. For Christ, what it looked like to be sent is to manifest the name of Christ. John twelve forty five, Jesus says that if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. And all throughout his ministry, he keeps saying over and over again that he and the Father are one. If you know me, you know the Father. Part of Jesus' sentness in this world is being who he is, and that is connected to the Father in an essential sort of way. And I don't mean essential like as in if he doesn't do this, everything's going to fall apart. I mean essential as in the very essence of who he was. Okay? So what it means for us to manifest the name of God is this connectivity with God. Jesus, when he said, if you have seen me, you have seen the Father, When he said, I and the Father are one, he's speaking of his connectivity to the Father. There is no disconnect between him and God. For us, in order to manifest the name of God, there has to be this connectivity between us and God. And what that means is diving deeply into the Scripture, diving deeply into spiritual disciplines. It means seeking this connectivity with God. And there's there's two parts to this. There's the beautiful benefit that we feel and sense in our own hearts when we have this connectivity to God, the joy that I have, Jesus said, I have come to give you life and give it to the full, the joy that we feel when we have this connectivity to God. But in, in the context of this message, in the context of what Jesus is talking about here, talking about the elements of his sentness, 
It is when we have this connectivity with God, we are bringing more glory to him. And that's why we are here. That's why the purpose of us being here. And again, back up to the, to the macro of, of the title of this message and the, the point of this series, what Christians are to be doing in the world is drawing attention, bringing glory to God, being sent on this planet. This is what it means to be sent. So the second half of that, not being of the world, what does it mean to be sanctified? Uh, the ESV Study Bible uh, says this, a, a quote about what it means to be sanctified. Again, this is the, the second half. That was the sent part is what it means to be in the world. This is what it means to not be of the world. The sanctifications of Christians is a lifelong process. You're never going to get it right. It's never going to be finished. You will never be sanctified until you're face-to-face with God. You follow that? It's a lifelong process. There are some older people that are belong to Florissant Presbyterian. I've gotten to know several of them, and they're, they're really fantastic people, and they're, they're holy men and women of God, but their process of sanctification is not complete. Neither is yours, nor will it ever be. It involves both the relational component, and I'll come back to that, and a moral component. There's two parts of this process of being sanctified, a relational component and a moral component. First, the relational component is separation from participating in and being influenced by evil. Let that kind of sink into your mind for a second. Or pause. The relational component of sanctification, the process of being sanctified, is separation from being partic- from participating in and being influenced by evil. There is a very present, very real evil that's present in, in this world. And you might notice, I have a very similar prayer every time I get up to preach. And one of the things I always say is, God, free us from distraction of the enemy. This is this process of being sanctified. There is a very real, very present enemy and a very real and very present darkness. And this world is filled with sin. And this world is filled with sinful people that interact and rub up against each other. And your sin causes more sin in me and my sin causes more sin in you. And the sin of those who don't know Christ causes more sin. And that's where all this difficulty and strife and pain and disease and war and all these things happen are a result of the evil that's present in this world. So this process of being sanctified is removing ourselves, lessening the effect of evil on our lives, lessening the effect of sin on our lives. And it all goes back to this understanding of of this connectivity to God. This is the, the process of being sanctified. The moral component now, that was the relational. Now the moral component is growth in holiness or moral purity, attitudes, thoughts, and actions. For me, Back to me sitting in my, my cool living room where my, my neighbor's outside cutting his grass and it's hot out there. For me, this holiness, this moral purity, is attitudes, thoughts, and actions. My attitudes, my thoughts, and my actions are what keep me in my living room. And this process of being sanctified allows me to, to rise and be who God has called me to be and be who Christ has called me to be and be Christ in the world, being sent as Christ was sent. So these are the understandings of of what it means to be sent and what it means to be sanctified, removing ourselves from evil and being in this world as Christ in this world, giving glory to him. So now we transition to Christ's prayer 
for us. Skip down to verse 11 in chapter 17. And we are going to see some of these specific points of where Christ is praying for us. And I, I, I didn't say this at the beginning. I wish I would have. I'll say it now. Christ's prayer in John 17 is him in the Garden of Gethsemane right before he is arrested, just several hours before he's dead. And this is what Christ prays for you and I. And I, I want to reiterate something we've been saying throughout this whole message series on the church, is the church is God's created vehicle to proclaim the message of redemption to the world. When Adam and Eve fell, God had this plan to redeem the world to himself. And it was to send his son Christ to live a perfect life. And he wrote all of the Old Testament and commanded all of the Old Testament to be written and orchestrated all the events of the Old Testament to point to this one event of Christ's coming, this redemption of the world. And Christ comes and spends 30 years, and specifically three years, living in ministry on this world, making this plan of redemption come to fruition. And then, just before, it's all about the, the whole history of the world, hinging on these moments, Christ in the garden, dying and resurrecting and leaving this plan of redemption to the church. This is his prayer for us because it is of massive importance. If we fail in regard to this understanding of what Christ is teaching us here in his prayer, then his plan of redemption goes for naught and is irrelevant. Do we see and understand the, the weight of this prayer of Christ? Imagine you've, you've planned your whole life for, for one event to happen, and all of the, the legacy of your life that you're leaving behind hinges upon one thing. And how earnestly would you pray for that? I think about when I, I the legacy that I leave is, is not, it, mainly, it's not you, it's my, my four children. That's the, the thing that weighs on me. And the urgency of the prayers that I have for my children is, is really deep. And this is where I bring this, this understanding to Christ. This is the legacy that he's leaving behind. And it's more than just the 40 years or 50 years after I'm gone that my kids will spend on this planet. It's, it's the legacy that Christ is leaving behind here. And so here he is praying for us. So we can really throw ourselves into these last few verses of John chapter 17, understanding this idea that this is the plan of redemption and Christ's final prayer for us. Start in verse 11, and we'll stop with specific phrases and, and point them out and show how they are either talking about us being in the world or being sent or being not of the world or being sanctified. Christ praying for us right before he dies. And I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, meaning he's going to leave us here to be in the world and sent. So we can erase in the world and put sent, but, but they are still sent. I'm coming to you, Holy Father. Keep them in your name. Understand this, this phrase, keep them in your name. This process of being sanctified is a process that's dependent upon the Father. Our being kept, our being sanctified is a process that is initiated by God. Keep them in your name. He's not saying, God, will you 
make them pray all the time? Will you make them study Scripture all the time? He's asking God to hold us in his hand. Keep them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them. The life and death and resurrection of Christ is Christ guarding our hearts and guarding our lives. This is this process of being sanctified. And and I, I want to come back. I, I said it a, a, a bit just a minute ago, but I want to reiterate this this point is that the 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 active ingredient in the sanctification process is God. The active ingredient in the sanctification process is God. Go back to verse 12. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which I which you have given me. I guarded them. Christ praying for us. God, I have held them for you. I've given them for you. Keep them in your name. I continue to guard them. Skip down to verse 13. But now I am coming to you, and these things I speak in the world that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. And here comes more sanctification. Verse 14. I have given them your word. I have given them your word. And we'll talk about what this word means in a, in a minute. In a minute. And the world has hated them because they are not of the world. Understand this. When we see this, this, this phrase, this understanding, we are in the world but not of the world, we think this is something for us to go and do. But here, in Christ's prayer, look, look at the, the, the minute details here. Christ says, they are not of the world. It's not a matter open for discussion. Christ is telling us here in this prayer that we are not of the world. We don't have to do anything to not be of the world. It's just a simple fact of who we are. We are not of the world just as I am not of the world, just as Christ is not of the world. Peter says in his epistle that we are strangers and aliens in this world. We are not made to be here in this world being affected by its evil. We were made to be in perfect community, perfect abiding relationship with God, and perfect abiding relationship with each other. That's why we are not of this world, because there is sin that's impacting and affecting us. Verse 15, I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. Again, not us, but God being the force behind this process of sanctification. Our role is only to give ourselves to it. Verse 16, again, Jesus making an objective statement about us. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. It's crazy to, to think that Christ is this passionate about this prayer. And to go back, verse 14 reads almost the identical thing. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. And then one more verse later, he says the same thing over again. They are not of the world, just like I am not of the world. If Christ is, is pounding this into our brains, how important do you think it is in this massively important prayer, Christ leaving his legacy behind to the church? that he reiterates the same thing. You are not of this world. You are not of this world. I want us, to, I, I've, I've prayed 
that God would burn this idea into our heads. As we walk around and we see the, the evil that's present in this world, we see the difficulty that's present in this world, and I, I see the, the strife that's in my heart, I see the strife that's in this church, I see the strife that's in this community, and I understand that we are not of this world, but we are still in this world. It's not easy, but Christ, God is holding us, sanctifying us, being who he has called us to be. He is being that, and, and now we are here in this planet being sent, being in this world. The last three verses that we'll talk about this morning are 17, 18, and 19, and they nail it home. Verse 17 says, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself that they may also be sanctified in truth. I want to close with where I started the message. Why are we here on this planet? What are Christians supposed to be doing in this world? What does it mean to be sent? And what does it mean to be sanctified? Christ closing his prayer here with this thought. So let's go to verse 17 and 19 First, he's talking about sanctified. In verse 17, he says, Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. And verse 19, For their sake I consecrate myself that they may also be sanctified in truth. Don Carson, a brilliant scholar, says this, Sanctification occurs in the truth. That is, as Christians believe, think, and live according to the truth in relation to God, themselves, and the world. That may seem confusing, but let the rest of this quote inform that first part. This truth comprises the entire Bible, for Jesus says your word is truth. The Greek word is surprisingly not an adjective, meaning your word is true, but a noun, which is the Greek word aletheia, which is a noun for truth. There's depth there. Let's think. The Greek word here that we are supposed to to give our lives over to the truth, we are to be sanctified in truth, the noun truth. If we are to be sanctified to it, we are to to bend our will around it. Do Do you see the difference in that word truth being a noun and not an adjective? It's a bending. It's a changing of who you are to the unchanging rock and truth of scripture. I also pray every time before we start to say, God, thank you for persevering your word that it's revealed your character to us. This scripture here is about showing us the plan of God, but it's also about revealing the very nature and character of God. It is a noun that is meant to have our wills wrapped and bent around it. And that's what this process of sanctification means. And the last words that Christ prays for us in the garden here are these. Bend yourself around the hard, unchanging truth of God. I give this illustration of of what this word aletheia means. The Greek word aletheia for truth means that which is true under any matter of consideration. It's true regardless of circumstance. Imagine a it's it's summertime and you're out on a lake and there's uh, there's a buoy that's out there that's like don't swim past here because it's dangerous when you swim past here and a boat goes by that buoy and it 
sends the buoy both side to side, up and down, and back and forth. It just moves this buoy all over the place, all right? And the same boat goes by this dock that's secured with concrete in the water, and this boat goes flying past that and sends these waves crushing into this dock, but it doesn't move the dock at all. That's Aletheia truth. It's not affected by its circumstances. It's not affected by its surroundings. It's not affected by us. And here, as we apply ourselves to this truth, as we bend our will around this unchanging, unmoving truth, we begin to understand what it means to be sanctified. I hope that this is connecting because ultimately to answer this question, what are Christians to be doing in the world is, I mean, it's foundational. If we understand what we are to be doing in this world, we are a whole lot more effective in doing what it is we're supposed to be doing in this world. And process number one is to not be of this world, to be sanctified. And the way to be sanctified is to bend your will and your character around the unchanging, unmoving, aletheia, truth, constant word of God. The next part is being sent. Verse 18. And as you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. Okay. Eternity past, God and Christ in heaven, seated on the throne, receiving praise and glory and honor from the angels that we read about in Isaiah and, and throughout the Psalms and Revelation, all that stuff. And, and God says, there's a flaw in man. I need you to go and, and create and, and, and fulfill this plan of redemption to the world. As God has sent Christ, so Christ is sending us to go proclaim this message of redemption to the world, to draw attention to the world. So if we are to go and be sent into the world as Christ was sent in the world, it does us well then to figure out what it was that Jesus was sent in the world to do. Jesus was sent to, and thus we are sent to, serve and not be served. What is a Christian supposed to be in this world? A Christian is supposed to serve and not be served. And here's, here's my hope, is that this would draw us to some practical action and that we would have some people in our minds and in our lives that we know that God has called us to serve. There's something in the, in the heart of us that knows we are supposed to be serving somebody. And I hope we are reminded as I say these things that we need to be serving people and very particular people that we are supposed to be serving. And I hope on top of that that we draw some conviction from the fact that we are flawed and we don't serve very well. The next thing, Jesus was sent to, and thus we are sent to, lay down our life. Put away preference, put away desire, put away self. These are very, very practical thoughts for us. Put away preference, put away self. That's what it means to lay down your life. Here is the deal. We walk around this earth saying to people with our actions and with our mouths, you are more important than me. That's Christ. Look around at everything that he did. It's a big, loud exclamation point exclamation to say, you are more important than me. 
He left perfection in heaven to come to this planet. You are more important to me. He sacrificed of who he was to give to people. You are more important to me. He died on a cross for our sins. You are more important than I am. That's what it means to lay down your life. Put away preference. Put away self. Jesus was also sent to, and thus we are sent to, bring attention to God. It's very simple. Our lives are about, hey, stop paying attention to me. I'm serving you. I'm laying down my life for you, not so that you'll look at me, but so that you'll look at God who sent me. Reiterate the verse. As you have sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. Christ, all his life, don't look at me, look at the Father. Our lives, don't look at me, look at the Father. And then lastly, Jesus was sent to, and thus we are sent to, love. Love. Bringing the object and affection of your love to a place where they are eternally satisfied. And the only place for that is in God. So there is no true love apart from pointing and pushing people to God. Let's pray. God, I thank you for Jesus. I thank you for John 17. God, I pray now that the truth of what it means to be in the world and not of the world, the truth of what it means to be sent and sanctified would take deep root in our hearts, God, and that root would bud, Father, and fruit and, and beauty would rise out of the depth of that root, God, and spur us to action, spur us to action to bend our will around the unchanging truth of your word and to, to be as Christ was here on this earth. God, would, would that, would your message, would your son's prayer in John 17 go deep into our lives and, and take life in our hearts and take life in what we do, God? And may we understand what you have called us to do and be here on this earth. God, we thank you so much for Christ. We thank you for the perseverance of your scripture that we might have to hold and bend our lives around. And we thank you for the perfect life of Christ that we might have to model our lives around. God, teach us now, lead us now to being sent and to being sanctified. We thank you for Jesus. In his name, amen.